time again. It's the Press Play on Tape podcast. We're back for episode 35. And I'm your host, Aaron Clement. And joining me is my fellow fellow Tasmanian and also back from PAX, Tony Cruz. How are we, sir? Oh, very, very good. It was um, excellent to finally be able to go back to PAX again after such a long time. Had a blast um, and even introduced my youngest daughter to the event as well, which she enjoyed. Oh, wow. And, uh, it was great to meet up with um, several people I've only um, talked to online, um, including our fellow guest. Yes, well, it's funny. It's a nice segue, that. So, yes, joining us tonight is uh, while while Damien's off gallivanting around Brisbane and no doubt spending plenty of time in Netherworld because that's what you do when you go to Brisbane. And I think, speaking from experience, there isn't actually that much more to do in Brisbane. But I digress. Um, so, yes, joining us is fellow PAX stalwart Cameron Bond. How are we, sir? I'm good. Didn't have to come very far from PAX because it's just down the road from me being a, uh, am I an ex-Tasmanian if I've been in Melbourne for 15 years? I don't feel like I'm a Melbourne person yet. <laughs> yeah, you, you, don't, you can't call yourself an expat, expat Tasmanian? Yeah, close enough. Yeah, close I enough. still feel Tasmanian though. Like there's this, you know, you can't quite get rid of it. You come and steal, you come down and steal all our uh, vintage <laughs> computer hardware and stuff. So, I Hey guess. man, the North is mine. You can have the South. Ha! Well, I think you've still got. I think you've still got a fair chunk of stuff hiding up north, don't you? Yeah, about a third of my stuff is in um, scattered around the various family homes, ah. uh, my sisters and my mum's. <laughs> Some really good stuff, actually. Like um, I've got very limited space here, so yeah. Yeah, it's always. Um, I think everybody has a few things scattered around to the winds. Yeah, well, I uh, think- there's just some things I can't get rid of though, like um, yeah, just I don't know, like I'm, am I a hoarder? If I've got how many duplicates of one thing do you need before you're officially a hoarder? Three, five. <laughs> I think between three to five is a, probably a reasonable area to go for that. I mean, let's. Okay. <laughs> I mean, depends. Like, how many 1084s do you need? Like, yeah, how many CRTs Ooh. are too many? Yeah. That's uh, yeah. yeah. CRTs that's definitely mine. can become a bit of a um, uh, a space hoarder. <laughs> yeah, but then see they when they but they die and there's they're not readily available and so to exactly. me that's like a yeah, yeah. You gotta you gotta save those. But um, I think I've got about ten CRTs. So is that bad? Yeah, it's, uh, it's beating me. I've got I've got a few, <laughs> but I don't have that many. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Not getting ones that are in arcade machines, of course. Oh, good lord! Yes, no, there are a few, quite a few of those. That's for sure. Well, they die a lot, don't they? Like arcade machine um, CRTs, aren't they? Are they just normal CRTs? Yeah, yeah, dude. They they are. Are. Okay, yeah. they're they're very much straightforward. And no, the the C- CRTs themselves. And see, Damien's not here. He'd be upset that we're talking arcades without him. All um, oh, right. But um, no, generally the CRTs and arcade cabinets don't die. Um, it's the chassis or the stuff that drive them is generally what tends to go first. Yeah. Um, like I've got my one really? of my yeah my big Street Fighter cab. It's got it's got burn in and it's starting to go. Like the brightness and stuff is definitely not super great. But yeah, no, quite often the chassis is what what goes first, and then eventually the old dreaded uh, you get a you know vertical or horizontal collapse depending on which way the monitor is around and that's yeah. when you need a, to re- rebuild the chassis that's it well i just had that in my main crt which i actually still use to play games on because mm-hmm. i'm hardcore 
I had, uh, yeah, vertical collapse on that. And I didn't kill myself fixing it. So, yay. Mm. Um, That's always a positive. I'm not really an, electro- I'm not really an ex- electronics expert, but I know enough to trace a few schematics and find the problem. So they're not that complicated because they're kind of old school, but um, yeah, it's just the dying part, which is... Uh, is that a fallacy? Like actually poking around a CRT and you get the wrong shock? Well, if you don't, uh, discharge, them, if yeah. you don't <laughs> discharge the tube, uh, yeah, no, you, you will definitely yeah. cop a smack. Um, the, the flyback is not something you poke around with lightly, um, especially no. if you don't discharge it properly. You can definitely end up on your ass. Yeah, I imagine, is it, you're from Tassie, so, um, you know, electric fences, What what's the difference? We're talking, because I've been shocked by an electric fence enough to, you know, wipe out a little bit of memory and then just get literally knocked back on your asshole. Yeah, I think I've never so. done it. I've never done it personally. Uh, I've certainly watched Damien nearly wet himself when we jokingly, right. he was poking around a uh, CRT test setup that someone someone we know down here had. And as he reached around, the guy that owned it goes, just be careful, there's some live wires back there. And Gary, who's our hardware guy, waited for the opportune moment and then just sort of went, big clap, and just Damien nearly jumped through the roof. <laughs> uh, That's pretty evil. It would have been probably worse had he actually shocked himself. But, eh, it was no harm, no foul. But no, I've definitely heard um, Peter Bew, if you've ever... Ever had a chat to him from uh, Console Domination and used to be on the Retro Domination podcast as well, has certainly regaled me with stories of when he's ended up, you know, on his butt a couple of meters away yeah. when he's touched something that he shouldn't have. So, um, yeah, yeah, you can definitely get a nasty, nasty shock from it. Um, although my personal nightmare is still, I still have flashbacks to when I used to work for a computer store back in the late 90s and we'd had a pizza lunch one day. We were all out the front, and then our monitor tech has gone out the back. And next thing you know, we can just hear this American voice just going, ah, ah, smash. <laughs> and we come out there, and his basically hands were just smoldering craters of just little pins where we'd come out to have lunch. He'd forgotten to unplug the monitor. So right. the back was off. He'd come in, had grabbed this thing to move it. And, of course, when you grab electricity and it starts running through you, you can't take your hands off. So yeah, his, yeah. his only Literally path secret. was to walk backwards until eventually gravity did its thing and yanked it off his hands. And uh, yeah, yeah, when he come back in like a few days later, sort of to see us, his hands just looked like someone had just shot it up with um, like all tiny little print holes. It was oh, wow. yeah, well, nuts. pretty much at that point. Never went, I, I never went back near soldering or repair work for a very long time. So, yeah. but um, yeah, but Fun anyway. stories, like oh. um, yeah, that's the difference between electric fences because they they zap every second or something, so you got mm-hmm. a chance to get the hell away. Yeah, it's not a continuous. Not with mains. Yeah. See, I was waiting for the Tasmanian story to revolve something around. Yeah, this one time I was drunk and went out for a wee. <laughs> oh dear. But um, yeah. Yeah. but um, so I suppose while we're on the topic of packs and that, so how how was it for you guys? Um, well, I, I, I haven't been back since, well, been there since the very first one, which was at the Melbourne Showgrounds. So it was oh, actually really nice right. to see Pull one out the, for the showgrounds. Uh, see it at the new venue. Uh, I, mean, I suppose it's not so new because it's been there for a while. Um, and I thought it was really well laid out. There was obviously a lot more there than um, mm. when I went the first time. There was a lot more variety of things. Um, and um, I suppose this time, because my daughter came on that. Um, 
extra day or so, I got to see through her, see it through her eyes as well. Um, cool. And she's particularly lately got into uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Um, so what, what, the number one thing she wanted to do was go and play a game of D and D. So um, she did. <laughs> Good. Yes, I know. I was sort of the uh, very very patient of uh, your wife Vicky to sort of hang around and sort of chaperone and, and be the you know wait for her to finish up while she she got a D and D fix in. And uh, but it was good because Vicky used to play D and D, and she actually you know she she wasn't bored and she enjoyed herself. So oh really? They went along and watched the live D and D game, and she actually really enjoyed that. Oh really? And, I and, I did not pick Vicky for a D and D player. No, we you know, we used to play a D and D, and now that um, one of my other daughters has moved home, and is pro- she was she's also interested in D and D, so we'll probably start up a D and D family game. I uh, yeah maybe maybe we got to tee up a uh, a Tasmanian Southern Tasmanian press play on tape D and D group because Damien I know Damien Norell are definitely keen, and I I have a passing interest. I. But it's one of those things I think, like, I like the concept. I've just never really been super great at it. Apart from video game D&D, of course. Oh, of course, yeah. And, and, and role-playing games in general, which are yeah. always good, as long as you've got the time. This is true. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. But, um, ah, cool. What about yourself, Cam? I mean, this is your the third year now you've come along and helped, out, helped us out. Yeah, so- I've been helping for three years. I did come just as a patron on the fourth year. Mm-hmm. So like four years back. Yep. Um, that was just for one day. I thought, no, you can't do it. You can't do it in one day. It's impossible. So then I contacted you guys and thought, well, because I'm a behind the scenes type of guy. I really like organizing things and, you know, setting stuff up. And I just love that sort of stuff. It's- mm. So yeah, it's a pretty smooth um, setup we've got going, I think. Um, everyone knows what they're doing. Yeah. No, absolutely. It's a, a good group. Of, we've got a good group of guys. And I mean, this year, I think you absolutely knocked it out of the ballpark with the uh, the DOS stuff we talked about last year and ended yeah. up being a you know a laptop that sat on the the admin desk with Doom <laughs> 2 running on it which got a fair bit of love and this year it turned into a full blown you went off and wrote some Doom created some Doom levels for the competition and we had a 18 person strong Doom comp ran for a good couple of hours easy yeah uh, we, we could have going off that yeah. was so yeah, we could have run through more. It, we got through twenty people in an hour, so I think we could we could do twenty five or something. I reckon next time, but um, mm. it did help that Bethesda was launching their Doom two. That's why I thought, well, it's now's the time if mm. ever it's a good... to have Doom two running. Mm. Heck yeah! My only regret was we couldn't get the guy that was cosplaying as the Doom Slayer to come and play. No. It. I I <laughs> know I couldn't find him. I saw him and went, "We've got to get him!" and could never find him again so disappeared. Um, yeah. but yeah it was really cool and i su- look i don't want to say i was surprised at how well received all the the dos like the dos stuff like all your big box setup was and things yeah. like that but um it was it was interesting that that actually got a lot of pops like you know there was a lot of love for the guy like um shane shane and uh Whedon retros prototype hardware like the ultra 64 dev kits and the jag yep. hardware stuff but yeah no the the dos like the most comments i saw on like twitter and places like that was people saying about how amazing it was to see all this old big box pc stuff so well that's, that's... the thing like um I, you know when we're trying to convince yeah all the organizers and stuff like let's do dos stuff and it's like yeah, really dos stuff like it mm. when you first think of it it's like what is that retro but we're old right <laughs> so at least i am 
So you got to think, if you were 10 playing Doom 2, now you're 35 or something. Well, how old is Doom 2? It's like 25 years old, right? Give or take. Um, 94? Yeah, well, Do- Doom is. Four? Doom 2 was 22 or something. Something like that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's that's nostalgia now. Like, and, mm, it definitely And is. to the point where I, I deliberately sought out the, the cheesiest setup I could find. Like, that's why <laughs> I found a guy who helped me out with the hardware because I didn't have... Like that epic tower. <laughs> it's so, it so oh. heavy. So heavy, that thing. And I had the sound canvas on top, which a lot of people noticed. I didn't think it would be a thing that people would notice. Um, and I had the AOL CD scattered around because, you know, just trying to recreate that vibe. Uh, <laughs> oh, dear. No, the only thing missing was I. you almost could have unironically installed Bonsai Buddy on one of them just so he popped up partway through to. a doom. <laughs> Partway through a Doom competition of just, I'm your buddy. <laughs> well, Windows 98 did crash during the Doom competition, and remember we had to reboot it, and it took but, and it took like five minutes to ages. reboot. It was, <laughs> but great. when it did, and it went bing bling, everyone went woohoo! So it was like, you know, it was a cool little, you know, it, bonus. It itself sort of thing. was a bit of nostalgia. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it was it was amazing. Actually, what was surprising to me is people really liked that crappy VGA screen I set up on the on the entrance. I had a VGA screen, the worst one I could find, with a crappy Windows ninety eight, uh, Windows ninety five keyboard, the worst multi multimeter speakers ever. Yep. And I just had some old ads and stuff playing on them, and don't copy that floppy was pumping. Oh my um, lord! That 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 was actually <laughs> one of my favourite parts of it because. I wish we had a webcam on it because the sheer volume of people that walked over and started trying <laughs> to do stuff with that keyboard and were going, oh, it was amazing. Why isn't this working? <laughs> like, oh, yeah. So many people stopped and had a look at it. They really did. Did well. Yeah, so, you know, some people thought it was a total novelty, of course, but yeah, a lot of people were smiling. So that's all. Mm-hmm. It really that's matters. it. And that's that's what we love about it. So, um, yeah. Oh, very cool. So, what well, come? Oh, so what? Uh, so what else have you guys been up to since? Have you guys been playing anything interesting in the couple of weeks since we all caught up? Um, well, uh, besides ha- playing with some hardware, I've been playing with an open source scan converter um, cool. that a yes. friend of mine at work gave me. Um, actually, very disappointed. I didn't realise that it didn't handle composite as well. So, oh no, 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 <laughs> no, quite no, no. requires a lot more. Cool wiring and jiggery-pokery before I can actually practically use it because not all of my um, SCART wired-up things are actually um, RGB. So it it complicates things. (laughs) Um, But um, I've played with with the computers and you do get nice um, stable pictures from them. I haven't had much success with the consoles as yet, but still playing with it. On on the gaming side of things, um, this is not really retro, um, but I actually was playing um, the Orange Box on PS3. Oh wow, oh, that's still kind of retro. Actually, yeah, let's not. That's let's a not... new re-release of of Half Life Two, along with yeah. other things. So I started yeah. playing Half Life Two right from the start. Okay, I've actually oh. been thoroughly enjoying it. Yeah, it's a great game. It's still. I think it's. I think it's aged well. It's. And I think um, the Ravenholm is still pretty damn scary. As far as like spooky sort of like areas and stuff like with that use the atmosphere well, but um, it's got a unique atmosphere. I think that's why it holds up so well. Like it's nothing quite the same. 
that's it. Uh, look, it is definitely, and the physics stuff is, yeah, it was yeah. very cool and a good precursor to what we got with Portal. So, um, but no, and it's but it's funny too. The version of um, Team Fortress Two that comes on the orange box pretty much never got updated. So yes. in a hat in a in a hat driven world where everything is about the hats, it's kind of curious to go back to kind of how it was when it first came out, which is. I think a better game, but eh, I haven't played TF2 for probably seven or eight years now. It's still going. Oh yeah, oh yeah. But um, and um, yeah, I was very impressed at how you know the engine and the underlying atmosphere of the game. So um, you know, I started playing it for a bit of fun and just kept on going. <laughs> yeah, cool. Halfway through, confirmed. Yo, uh, we wish. Maybe one day. What about yourself, Cameron? You've been. Do you, uh, do you actually play much, or do you just sort of pick up hardware and fix it? Well, yeah, I am mostly into hardware. I just like I love the designs and trying to get them working. Because I was an old programmer, and I had a crappy Amstrad. The games, <clears throat> the games weren't that good, so I really got into programming pretty hard. So uh, a lot of that stuff comes back in my hobby. Uh, but one thing I did do: the guy I borrowed some of the PC hardware off. Just coincidentally, coincidentally, was running a retro LAN where <laughs> he 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 actually bothered to set up eleven Windows ninety eight Pentium threes out of all these pieces. Eleven. How? It took me like a week to set up two. How? <laughs> oh, that's that's totally insane. Out of perseverance. Oh yeah. So, I mean, I bought I got a bunch of four three LCDs for some freaking reason i don't know why uh, so i bought them along and that was a cool old school land it was like just like the old days um mm. we had the beige boxes we had the uh crappy mice and he had to go to office works to buy mouse mats because the mice wouldn't work on the trestle tables at the scout hall that he hired oh no but <laughs> actually it's funny it's you mentioned that actually my classic. yeah well the um the big the big display i did at the tasmanian museum and art gallery back in oh, yeah. august for science week my um little my little Mac I had the little nine inch uh SE Mac SE I had set up yeah I had yep. the same problem I no I couldn't find a good mouse mat that would function properly so trying to play Shuffle Puck Cafe on like I was using disc boxes I was using floppy disks I was using the table yeah. I was using guides and just yeah though the old ball mice just do not like modern mouse Don't pad. Like it. I really no. tried to put ball mice in in a packs. I, I tried. I got like twelve of them, and I tried them all, and they just they just don't uh, work on trestle tables. Do if work, they work at all, I had to get like cardboard and stuff. Yeah, take I know. That down for mouse mats. It was amazing, but I'm not gonna lie. I I have no qualms with using PS2 mouse converters with my uh, Amigas with laser Microsoft yeah. laser mice because they just work so well. They just, yeah, they just makes work. the world of difference. But um, yeah. yeah, but no, but anyway, I, that was a that was a fun sort of setup. Um, that's cool. So, what's interesting though is because <laughs> everyone's like you know thirty five and above. Um, even the even like a ten year difference, there's really obviously different games that everyone plays. So everyone mm-hmm. sort of settled on Counter Strike one point six, like the first Counter Strike. No, um, no, no, Beta six no, or die. That that <laughs> drove me insane because I'm not Counter Strike guy but i you know we had like quake and doom and quake 3 um Mm -hmm. what was really cool though is i remember aliens versus predator being an awesome multiplayer game so i thought well i'm gonna try that 
this land, mm-hmm. and it is. Aliens vs. Predator, yeah. the first yeah, one. It's a good fun oh, game, yes. Yeah. It's a brilliant game. It really the is. The multiplayer is, is, has the best mode. So the best mode that everyone was cracking up laughing is when everyone starts as Marines and there's one alien, and every time an alien kills a Marine, they respawn as an alien. Yep. That's, the That's one. all you need. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, huh? It's um, it's kind of like playing um the Jedi Academy games and those sort of ones because the same thing. Like it's, I think the another ones it just becomes it's funny because yeah you end up you know force throwing each other off cliffs and all that sort of <laughs> yeah. stuff. Like it's the sort of games where it's you you can do more than just simply shoot each other. Yeah, it's uh, just um because aliens can climb walls. Mm-hmm. It's that that and, sort of asynchronous multiplayer is really fun. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Uh, they, Which they you don't all... really get in modern games. No, and I, I, I argue that they've not done a good AVP since that and the sequel. They they were, yeah. I reckon, the only ones that have ever really gotten the feel of how to play the different class, like the different races properly. Oh, yeah. um, so good. I'm interested to see how the new Predator game does that mode, like because the new Predator oh. is supposed to be like, you know, it's one Predator versus a whole bunch of soldiers, but that's modern consoles, so... You know. Yeah, I didn't even know there was a new Predator yeah. game in school. Yeah, I didn't even know. Sorry, but um, but no, for myself, I've I've been re- I don't know if either of you have been much much picked it up, but I've been playing the Outer Wild, uh, Outer Worlds. Sorry, not Outer Wilds. That's a different game. Um, the Outer Worlds on yeah. PC, which is pretty much a cross between Mass Effect and for Mass Effect style space asshole ish with um a Fallout type style game and. I, I've got to say, like, I haven't had this much fun with this style of game for a very long time. And while it's yeah, not right. retro, it's pretty much been what's been absorbing all my time since it came out. Interesting. Um, which, yeah, if you've got a PS, PS4 modernish PC or Xbox One, like, it's definitely well worth picking up if you enjoy that sort of, you know, yeah, explore, be a space asshole type thing. <laughs> Good. Yeah, but, um, it does sound quite an interesting game. I hadn't actually heard much about it until you start po- started posting about it, but I have had a bit of a look now, so I uh, might have to get a copy for the PS4, I reckon. Yeah, so we'll, we'll shift on. So what we might do is, um, yeah, news. I, I thought we'd have something a little bit different, have a bit of a chat about some of the goings-on and things around the world, because it's been, been, a bit, been a bit happening recently. I mean, there's always lots happening, but... Um, but no, in the last last few weeks, we've seen some interesting things pop up. Like the, uh, I know since PAX, the the guys behind the Vampire Accelerator for the Amiga finally released the standalone version of it, which is a fairly hardcore FPGA version of the Amiga, yeah. similar to like the Ultimate sixty four. Um, it was released at I think it was Amiga thirty five, I believe the event in Germany is called. Um, so but you could pick it up for five hundred and forty nine euro, which Anyone that's got a yeah. um, Ultimate sixty four, like you know, they, I think I pay they're, they're about in the vicinity of one hundred and eighty ish euro, uh, euro give or take. Yeah, Don't quote me. Forty nine euros is a bit is a lot. There's a lot of money for something that is quite powerful and like there's a lot of work, but it's interesting that yeah, Amiga something about Amiga hardware just seems to attract an insane premium. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. I I mean, don't, even though, even though the hardware is interesting, I don't think it justifies that sort of pricing. No, I'm yet. not. Yeah, I'm a bit funny. Like I'm an Amiga guy, right? I hugely into Amigas. I've never felt the desire to get like a vampire or something, despite how cool they are. Yeah. Um, 
I don't know. Like, I, I'm not sure what it would give me over just a standard Amiga. Uh, well, I mean, I, I have a Furia in my Amiga 600, and, like, it's it's yeah. fantastic. Like, playing Stunt Car Racer where there's no okay. slowdown. Like, it runs yeah, at yeah. a constant frame rate. It's really smooth. Like, that, so that in itself games is that are cool. programmed. Yeah, so, like, Vector Games basically is comes That's to my it. mind as the main thing unless um, you're doing applications no i suppose that would help there are there are there is also the uh cannonball engine which is the outrun engine which someone has basically ported the outrun arcade game to the amiga 1200 <laughs> use but you need a vamp- vampire to basically run it but it's yep. the arcade version of outrun which considering uh the travesty that was the amiga port of outrun yeah yeah but um, but yeah, no. So that that's that is out and around, and um, but I'll throw something in the show notes just as a uh, throwback if you're interested in having a look and checking it out. Uh, so but moving on, so like the in line with what the uh, episode the episode subjects about, um, there's a Spectra Video audio adapter popped up now. Tony, this is something that you hmm. you shared me that um, Patrick Retrotech has, where it's basically a cartridge for it's the og spectra videos that it gives you a 3.5 mil audio adapter yeah because the original spectra videos have a like i suppose the commodore 64 they've got a custom cassette connector so okay. you don't have a an audio in um so it's like an edge connector um very similar to the c64 in fact so okay. the um you know the tape dries for the original spectra video are getting old um, and also, um, there has been a bit of a movement lately to make a whole lot of, um, you know, digitally preserved uh, cassette images of the Spectre Video stuff before it disappears. Um, so as part of that, um, Patrick has put together this little adapter with a 3D printed case that just allows you to plug in. It's got a 3.5 mil jack that you can plug in, um, you know, some any sort of player. Um, okay. Um, you know, from a phone or a um, digital device or even an, an actual another cassette player that works. Um, so it just opens that opens the machine up to being able to use other audio sources um, for loading stuff via cassette. Oh, that's that's fascinating. So it's a nice little kit, like I was having earlier on. Like it looks like one of those nice little adapters that sort of plugs in, you know, fairly snugly. It's a 3D, like 3D printed or machined case so it again it has that sort of nice you can't plug it in any any different way um, yeah no he's done he's done a good job with that and the, you know the particular connector that the um speculator uses is very was very custom at the time so um you know nothing else uses it so this is the first time somebody's tried to um to um you know make some specific hardware for the spectra video Mm. So is so is it actually available yet, or is this still a work in progress? Um, well, he did an he did an original batch, and I think he sold. He thought he'd make up a half a dozen, and he'd, he'd take a while to sell them. But they like disappeared in minutes, <laughs> and then Ooh. there was a clamoring of, "Oh my god, I want one of these too!" So he's put a bit more effort in to make them um, in slightly larger quantities. So mm-hmm. he's already got the um, circuit boards, okay. um, and he's just getting. Um, just I think he's made his final adjustments to his case print design, and they'll be available shortly. So there is an actual Spectre Video Facebook group, which will and will link down below. Yep, absolutely. They'll be in the show notes. So oh, excellent. Oh, another one again. On, it's a- on a related topic, what's the what's the playback software that people use? Do you just use your normal audio player, or is there like a special cartridge um, imager that can play back? 
the data. No, just um, so y- y- you you just play audio files. You just need to make sure they're not too um, not compressed too much. So you're removing right. some of the um, the tones. The Spectre Video actually has quite a torrent uh, loading routine. Okay. It has it it actually came out with twelve hundred and twenty four hundred. Um, board rate loading, which was quite fast for the time, but it's also um, checksum and error checked, so it's very reliable loading. Um, right. Unlike, unlike the some of the other systems before. of the time that don't have any error checking in them. So, mm. that's um, uh, cool. All right, well, like I said, we'll make sure that that's in the show notes if you want to check it out and follow that page. If you happen to have one of the the OG Spectre videos, so the la- the last thing I thought I'd bring up actually was something I. I saw it was actually a couple of years ago now was um, pinball dreams on the Amstrad CPC. Yeah, so amazing. Those those who love their CPCs or at least have one or a fondness will probably be familiar with um, Batman Group, who are a, a demo a demo group, but also have been have coded a few different bits and pieces. And a couple of years ago, they made a bit of a stir when they ported pinball dreams, which you know, again for the Amiga heads was and DOS as well. Um, yeah, was the pinball simulation or of choice back then. So, but they yeah had released a version for the Amstrad CPC, which was, I think, to be honest, breathtaking given the hardware and that yeah the underpoweredness of the CPC itself. But they've finally come good and released the actual final version of this. Um, so I haven't had a chance to test it out yet, but all the stuff I've seen, like it looked and sounded amazing. Um, have either of you had a chance to poke around it yet? I haven't um, no, not, played not it. The, not the um, oh, but, CPC version, no. Well, I, that's I'm totally down for that. I just got a CPC monitor actually for for my one to eight here, so that's the first thing I'm going to play because um, 50 hertz perfect scrolling. It, the sound is awesome. The art is awesome. Mm. What the hell are they doing to that poor Amstrad? Well, to, to make, make it, it do, do that, that. <laughs> this is this is it, right? Like I, I've seen some other stuff for the CP, like modern stuff for the CPC that people have released, and it's, you know, it's this thing where you're going. This is a system that doesn't have hardware sprites. It doesn't have a whole bunch of other stuff that more popular computers at the time had. But suddenly, these people are figuring out ways to push this system in. Yeah, things that I think Alan Sugar never even remotely contemplated. No, I think they um. I read something about how they were using the CRT controller chip to tr- basically get some form of hardware scrolling. Um, so they're doing some nasty timing tricks. And I think <laughs> some of the tricks they do don't work on emulators, or at least they didn't. I think they probably do now. And you kind of need a real CRT to, to see it properly as yeah, well. They're the doing some, e- yeah, to get the full effect. Yeah. Yeah. So it's pretty low-level stuff they're uh, messing about with. But um, whatever they're doing, it works. Excellent. Yeah, well, look, I'll pop the link in the show notes to their Twitter account where you can get the, you can actually download it from. Um, so yeah, well, absolutely well worth checking out. So, all right. Well, I think we might move on to our main topic tonight, which, if you hadn't guessed, like a brief mention of the uh, the spec, the OG Spectre video just before, but uh, we're going to talk all about the original pre MSX Spectre video. So. Those that listened in back when Tony was on this podcast originally, way back in episode like three or four from memory, um, he had a you know, big old MSX masterclass where he sort of took Daz, Daz and Alex through sort of all things MSX. Um, but that wasn't the first time Spectra Video had actually dabbled in a home computer, was it? 
No? Well, yes, and it goes back further than people think. So Spectre Video um, was started by um, basically a couple of Americans um, who had been um, um, working out of Hong Kong, um, and they just they started making... Yeah, basically they started making hardware and they started making joysticks. So that's the good old quick shop joystick. Um, and uh, then they started dabbling and they wanted to make their own computer hardware. So pretty much almost simultaneously. And they were called Spectre Vision to start with. So you will find some early gear released by them that is actually labelled Spectre Vision rather than Spectre Video. Um, but they actually changed their name to Spectre Video due to a clash with... Um, uh, an, another software house that had um, had already used that name, okay. um, and they started. They wanted to make a computer, so they um, they actually made an add-on computer for the Atari Twenty Six Hundred, which was a keyboard that goes into the cartridge, uh, goes over the top of the Atari Twenty Six Hundred, has a keyboard, and goes into the cartridge slot, and you could program it in Basic Ooh, in a very primitive that. form. Yeah, I remember seeing um, those things. They have a slick box. Those those things have a really really nice looking box. They do actually. Yes, I actually. Uh, what's one of the things I don't have in my Spectre Video collection is what uh, is one of those. Um, uh, but then they wanted to make a, a proper computer, which I, I actually suspect the add-on to the Atari Twenty Six Hundred was one of the ways they were seeking to fund uh, the computer. Okay. The whole um, and they went full out with the computers. So the original model they released was the um, it was called the SV Three One Eight. And it's the good old white, pure white machine with rubber keys and the wonderful red joystick in the right-hand side of the keyboard. So those and are one the, of the key things yep, that have the stick, the stick that generally tends to be missing in the majority of these when you buy them these days, right? That's correct. Yes, I actually uh, myself do not have an original red stick. I have um, only recently. I've got um, there is a three D print file to create your own, but obviously it's not quite the same as the original. Um, they released some uh, second iteration of the hardware called a Mark II. I mm-hmm. actually do have a Mark II with a real joystick now. So, um, and Ooh. yeah, what, uh, basically, um, when these computers were coming out, I was shown a brochure of the machine, and I went through the spec sheet and and um, uh, you know was comparing it against other machines. I was actually looking at getting a Vic Twenty or one of the Micro B machines. Um, the um, the VIC-20, uh, of course, it only had its 4K of RAM. Um, the salesman was going to throw in, I think, an extra 8K RAM cartridge for me because um, oh. I was a, a programmer. I love radar rat race and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And then the, the micro be the only one I would have been able to afford was a black and white model, not a color one. Um, and then the, the, the local store that I used to help out um, during the school holidays, um, the owner there was interested in this computer thing and he showed me this brochure of the Spectre Video machine um, and it showed the um, the you know the white machine with its red joystick and all its glory had all the specs and everything like that on there and um, pictures of some of the games which looked fantastic at the time it also helped that my current computer at that time was a TI-99 um, slash 4 uh, not a 4A which is the model Ooh. that most people are familiar with it's I was about the to first say, model there was, so it was the, the original TI, not well, ninety-nine. Yeah, the one that was released in seventy-seven, Oof. which I'd bought second-hand off somebody else, and it actually um, it has the slightly earlier version of the graphics chip, but the Spectre Video, as its graphics 
processor, and it is actually a graphics processor, um, uses that um, uh, display its graphics. So it was very familiar territory for me, and the um, you know the not, it having hardware sprites and the 16 colors and the and the um, fairly high resolution for the time. Um, and one of the things that really attracted me to it was the fact that it had an official Microsoft extended BASIC in it. And what a lot of people don't know is that the BASIC in it was developed by two Microsoft people and two Spectre Video technicians in cooperation. Okay. So what and was... That, I'm sorry, and, Mark, and that being delivered late made uh, Spectre Video miss the Christmas 1982 release period. So, which was, would have put it definitely right in compar- uh, competition with the VIC-20 and the, no, the C64 was year after? Yeah, the year uh, after. No, it was, 64 was 82, I think. Was it was 82? It? Wow. Yeah. I, sorry for the fail. It's it's late. I've been up since 4am, <laughs> so... <laughs> but, um, uh, but ouch. You've also got to remember how expensive the 64 was when it was first released. Yeah. yeah. It was like six hundred dollars. <laughs> well, true, six hundred US. So, yeah. So the Spectre Video three one eight on launch in Australia was two hundred and ninety nine dollars, uh, because I, which was still more than I had money at the time. <laughs> um, uh, to actually get my first computer, I sold my train set, my all of my Lego, all of my oh, fish God. Technics, and all of my um, <laughs> all of my Meccano. Oh, um, so, and then tragedy. my dad actually went in halves and paid for the other half of the computer. So I sold the TI-99 and I'd managed to scrape together a little over $200, which is still not $299. The um, guy that had the store here in Hobart, it was actually a store called Let's Play Games, of all places, um, because I'd been helping him out and, and you know with information on the computer and everything like that. And he actually got a sample one. So it was one of the very first... Uh, one of the units released anywhere. Yep. And I got to play with it, and I said, "Oh, this is great!" And so he started stocking them, and because I did that for him, he sold me one for one hundred and ninety nine dollars. Oh, it seems just so so weird though. It's like a paying two hundred, basically two hundred dollars for a computer. There's in you know this day and age, unless you're talking like one of the little when EPCs were a thing, and even then they weren't two hundred dollars. But yeah, so what did two hundred dollars actually get you? Like in in terms of physical hardware, like what was the the three? What did the three one eight pack? So you got a you got a th- the Spectre Video always sold their hardware in bundles. So you got a three one eight. You got the um, first version of the tape recorder, which included a microphone, um, so you could actually record voice with it as well. Um, and you got um, two games. So you got Spectron, which is a mix between Space Invaders and a bit of Galaxian. Um, and you got Armored Assault, which is a two-player game. Okay. Um, you also got a very, you know, not a too bad manual, as usual with early manuals. They were actually typing mistakes in the listings. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, especially that very first version. Um, and then you were on your own. Uh, but it had a very, the best... Um, version of Microsoft Basic at the time, so um, it was the most advanced Basic out of any machine uh, that was released in that period. Which is one of the reasons why I decided not to get the VIC twenty and then even get a Commodore sixty four later was the fact that you know Commodore couldn't be bothered paying another license fee, so they Ooh. kept the same version of Basic they'd used since the PET. Ah, 
Jack Trammell would never skimp on cost for something like that. Never, ever. <laughs> but um, what about the actual physical hardware? So I mean, obviously the the pro like the processor and that was they were six were they six five zero two or were they Z eighty? No, it's a Z eighty processor. Okay. Um, running at the um the very common at the time three point I think it's three point five seven. Um and it it actually has two processors in it. So you've got the Z80 and then you've got the TMS9918A graphics chip. The TMS1 graphics chip has its own uh, RAM and then the Z80 has its own RAM. So you had two lots of 16K. So 16K for your Z80 and 16K cool. for your graphics chip. And based at the time, 16K is a lot of graphics memory. Well, it wasn't cheap back then. Yeah, that was huge. Um, and it had the AY-38910 sound chip, which was used on quite a lot of computers after that. I'm drawing blank, so I'll take your word for it, because I'm a SID or bust, so... And it's used, that sound chip was used in pretty much anything Yamaha touched, so a lot of their keyboards and things like that actually had that sound chip. The Spectrum added it later. The Atari ST used the newer Ooh. version of it uh, hey, later uh, on as well. Hey, uh, and the, Cameron, yeah. do you want to have a guess what uh, what what home console used that sound chip? The Vetrex. Yes, good guess. <laughs> Are you looking at the same Wikipedia article I am? No, I knew that. Ah. <laughs> I am looking at the same Wikipedia article, but I just knew that one. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So it's yeah, it's it using very, everything. It's a very same as Amstrad sound think. chip. Yeah. The CPC. Yeah, yeah so, so it's a very a very common chip. Now the original, so the um, uh, the similar set of chips. So Texas Instruments was obviously very good at selling its chips. So there are quite a lot of systems that ended up being based on this TMS nine nine one eight A graphics chip. Mm. But the Spect Video was probably about the first one that did, and it was one of the only ones that did it this with this combination with that. AY chip rather than Texas Instrument sound chip, which got used in the SG one thousand and the ColecoVision. So, so the so the TI ninety nine four and that didn't actually use the nine nine one eight. The four used the nine nine one eight nothing, and the four A actually introduced the nine nine one eight A. Ah, there you go. Today I um, learned the the four only did. Um, I mean, it was basically what was in the ROM, but it only did uppercase, um, and it didn't have all of the four modes that are available on the graphics chip. It was missing one. Would that be the first home computer that had like a dedicated graphics chip with hardware sprites and game orientated things? Uh, yeah, the Texas inst- yeah, the Texas Instruments. I mean, we've got to remember it was very expensive when it first came out. It was like a thousand dollars or something like that. Um, and it was very it was a 16-bit the main processor in the TI-99 is a 16-bit processor not an 8-bit processor right. a... um, so it was a very advanced computer just like the um, you know the Intellivision has a 16-bit processor in it you wouldn't guess it <laughs> I think when you think about 16-bit everyone just kind of goes oh you mean Amiga and Super Nintendo and Mega Drive but yeah. Yes, and don't get me started about the definition of what is actually a 16. <laughs> that's a that's a time for another episode. Um, um, and also, um, and 
I mean, Spectre Video produced a rather large range of hardware for this. So they wanted a full computer that could be used for lots of different things. So they, um, um, a few months later, they re added another model, which was the 328, which had a full travel keyboard and 64K of main RAM, in addition to the 16K of video RAM. They released two different types of what they called super expanders. So it's like a big box that you could put multiple cards in it. Mm -hmm. They had uh, 80 column cards, RS-232 cards, parallel uh, printer cards, uh, floppy disk controllers with floppy disk drives. Um, they got support from digital research, so it, it was a very good CPM machine, which is actually one of the reasons oh. why it had such a following here in Tassie, because the early gods of CPM in Australia were actually a couple of guys who lived in Launceston. There you go. Interesting. We we have a yeah a bit of a bit of a following down here because I believe you you also potentially hold the, the record if you want to call it that for being the first games programmer in at least the southern the south of Tassie, Tony. Yeah, well, um, so basically, I got this machine. I couldn't buy any games. I didn't have the money to buy the games anyway. Uh, not many were actually released for the system. So I started writing the games that I wanted to play. Um, and I just kept on writing. And I uh, released um, well over 50 games for the system. So I probably have released more titles for the system than any other developer <laughs> on the planet. Um, That's crazy. <laughs> uh, I also um, took over one of the magazines and ran that purely as a mechanism to sell my titles. Uh, mm -hmm. But I also enjoyed writing the magazine as well. So... Um, you actually, if you look in the very early user group magazines, you can actually see listings by me as well, almost from like the second or third issue cool. of the user group one. So, and um, I'm actually working on another book, which is a book of listings. <laughs> oh, oh that's cool. Make sure we link that up. So, is there a place? Can we does archive.org or anywhere have those magazines? Uh, yes, all the magazines are available on my website, which is electricadventures.net. And we'll put that in the show notes for anyone that's um, not listening. Unfortunately, digital versions of my original Spectre video titles are still not available because when MSX came along, I converted all my titles to MSX and I didn't actually keep copies, physical tapes of my uh, Spectre video titles. Because uh, as it is back then, you sold your machine to buy your next one and the software went with it. I do have my original disk drive and all my original disks but and i actually have ended up i've got like four super expanders now um, but i haven't got any of them working <laughs> so <sighs> one day i will be able to get to my disks i have actually through actually our hardware guy gary um he found a um, stuff from a deceased estate which actually happened to be a friend of mine that i didn't know about and he had some of my software Oh, oh wow. That's so so I do actually have some original spec video titles of mine um, and I'm going to, you know, capture them digitally. Oh, excellent. Well, we've got to make sure we do that and get them up on uh, archive.org and but somewhere fail, like that. Failing all preservation efforts, I, will, I have all of the MSX versions so I can actually backport them. Okay. So is there much? So that's, that's failing everything else. <laughs> so is there much much involved in that? Um, the basic, uh, well, so basically, um, so basically the basic was late, uh, which is why the machine was late. Um, they did 
the Mark II model. So later on, Spectre Video, so they actually sold enough of the um, first model to actually produce another run of hardware, and they made the Mark IIs, which were a single PCB design, whereas the original ones had a motherboard and a daughterboard. Okay. So a much simplified design. It also included a um, RF adapter on the motherboard, whereas in the first model it was in an external uh, box like a lot of earlier machines were. Um, so the uh, the later model, um, it had composite out built on uh, onto the back of the machine as well as RF, um, so it made it much um, cheaper for them to produce. It also showed that they obviously did sell a few of those machines to be able to um, produce a second one. Um, and the version 1.1 of Spectre Video Basic was released with the Mark One, uh, with the Mark Two. So um, no compatibility issues that I ever detected back in the day. Um, and then um, later on, and I'm only basing this on an article to see because I didn't directly um, see this particular process. But Spectre Video always seemed like they were struggling for money. I think they tried to produce too much, missed their opening launch window. Um, so never really took off selling all of this hardware. So they actually pretty much sold the design of the Spectre Video to Microsoft and ASCII Corporation. So this is where Nishi comes in, the one of the creators of MSX, mm -hmm. and um, agreed that the computer was going to be the basis of the MSX specifications. Uh, which obviously, yeah, for those that are uh, listening at home, you have to go back and listen into. Tony, Tony, on one of the earlier episodes, when he talks about this in a little bit more detail, because that was when, yeah, the sort of things kind of took off, wasn't it, for them that the MSX, the MSX specification sort of hit the ground and hit the ground running pretty hard, and well, the rest is kind of history. Yes, and unfortunately, the Spectre videos, any models, including the MSX, never really sold in the US, Ooh. which and um, Spectre Video ended up then just being bought out by one the their manufacturer in Hong Kong, which is Bondwell. Right, and that right, was... so they sold the design outright, or did they get royalties for? Ah, that wouldn't have been Microsoft. They wouldn't have let them get away with that. I suppose they just bought it, did they? Um, yeah, well, I know there was a big bailout thing that allowed them to continue, and then they obviously rushed out um, new models because there was some slight change. Because obviously the Spectre Video machine was quite well designed, um, but they made made some very subtle changes to the MSX um, and Microsoft released, I suppose, version 3 of the BASIC, which then became um, MSX BASIC. And um, so they had to release a new model, so they brought out a thing called a Spectre Video 728, which looks a lot like a 328 in design. Um, the keys are a slightly different colour, and obviously the uh, one of the key things changed was uh, in the original Spectre Video, you had a cartridge slot, which was basically for programs, and you had an expansion port in the back. Mm -hmm. As part of the MSX design, they merged those two things into the one thing. So the cartridge port was also the expansion port, and all machines had two of them. Um, or most machines had two of them. Uh, even the Spectre Video um, 728, when they brought it out, they actually brought it out with a reversed expansion connection in the back of the machine and a cartridge slot in the top and they had a converter to convert the expansion port into a cartridge port that was available. Ah, okay. And the only other change, that, other than the actual version of BASIC that's in the machine, is the way memory is mapped, which allowed the MSX machines to have a lot larger memory expansion. Okay. So the 
so realistically, so I mean the the three the three one eight net was was largely the precursor to what we saw like become the MSX in a lot of ways, like the the Seeger SG three thousand and the SG one thousand sorry SC three thousand that became the master system that we know and love. Yes, it developed into that, and it's actually. Um, you know the master system is is involved in the history graph that you follow of the um, TMS nine nine one eight graphics chip, which started it all. Hmm. So it's a, its graphics chip is a descendant, as are M- and but MSX two went a different path to what they did with the master system changes. Right, right. So, I mean, so ultimately, like, how how successful was the three one eight? Like, as a system, obviously, like you said, they must have sold enough to reiterate and sell a second revision with bits and pieces extra but like how how like long was it actually active for before the msx took over um well you're probably only talking um you know a two-year sales time mm-hmm. um it it got it sold a lot in tasmania in australia there's also i've seen pockets of it in melbourne and queensland uh, and it sold really well in south africa there was a lot of support from south africa for it um, the, you see bits and pieces of it in Europe and and the UK. Uh, you see more of the MSX stuff that followed. There's actually ads from the UK where they're advertising the Spect Video uh, 318 and 328 as MSX machines with uh, Roger Moore as the um, as their um, you know spokesperson. Huh. And that was before they realised that the specifications had been changed in those machines they were spooking. Sure. So then they actually rushed out a device that you plug into the back of a um, 328 that um, allows you to plug MSX games directly into the system. Ha! Huh. Yeah, the uh, the quote was, while other computer companies are busy setting new prices, Spectra Video is busy setting new standards. Which is kind of funny, considering what you just said about that it was, oh, that's awkward. And there was another, and there was another add-on um, device for the Spectre videos, which was actually a, a ColecoVision adapter, which allowed you to plug Coleco cartridges, and in the side of it had joystick ports for Coleco joysticks. Ooh, that would have had to be just a ColecoVision in a box, right? Like, how do you get that sort of compatibility? Um, well, same graphics chip. It probably just okay. added the sound chip that the Coleco that the Coleco has, um, yep. and did the rest in memory mapping. Now, so this is the thing. This is something I have not been able to absolutely approve, but um, from various documents and things like that, um, I have, um, and from some interviews that I've watched of some people, there is actual, um, you know, uh, I suppose I can't say it's evidence. It's rumor that the original. So Coleco were designing basically the Atom to start with, not a console. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Atom, they couldn't get to work. So Spectre Video sold them one of their earlier designs, which was using the Texas Instruments um, sound chip instead of the um, AY chip they changed to later, and that became the ColecoVision. Well, that's pretty interesting interesting if true like you said it to be hard it'd be hard pressed to know though because back then stuff like this was never documented or there was not really yeah anything really to back that up but still yeah that and if you think about yeah if you think about the time it would take to actually develop a machine back in uh the day with the particular yep. custom chips and everything yeah. like that um you would think that they they would have started work on the original spectra video 
quite early, and then how did they get the money to actually make it? Mm. Yeah, well, it stands to reason, right? But um, but yeah, you you are right though. I mean, in the Adam, <laughs> the Adam. <laughs> oh, that was an interesting thing in all itself. But uh, yeah, well, that brought that brought the Coleco Coleco down completely. <laughs> See, what they need to do was just put a Super Nintendo inside it, and it would have been fine. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, you know, it was a graphics card, wasn't it? It was a graphics card. Oh, yeah, you're talking. Yes, you're really. Oh, dear. So, what about games? Like, what, what, what games are that, if, if I sat you down and said, what are five Spectra Video-only games that are worth seeking out to play? What what would you suggest? Um, now, this comes with caveats because um, Spectre Video once again converted a couple of their titles across to the ColecoVision. Um, um, so, but because obviously you have Spectron and Armored Assault, so Armored Assault wasn't converted to the Coleco because it was a two-player game, but Spectron was converted to the Coleco. Then you have Super Cross Force, which was also converted to the Coleco. But then you've got really um, funky early. Uh, special video games, which is Old Mac Farmer and Tetra Horror. Tetra what now? Tetra Horror. And Frantic Freddy, which was also converted to the ColecoVision as well. Why Why do I know Frantic Freddy? Because there was a Commodore 64 port as well. That would be why. Okay. I'm not 100% sure whether that's the same game. Because that seems more like uh, slightly different. I think the concept might have been changed when it was ported to the 64 or something. Or it's just another game that happens to be called Frantic Freddy. It's also entirely possible because, you know, no one really sued anyone for... Unless you were no. um, VTech and tried to make Pac-Man clones, um, no one really tried to sue you back then. And there's another later title that I always liked called Turboat, mainly because of, of the, how they did the revving sound of the um, of the the powerboat. Sure. And that was probably the, I think about the last actual Spectre Video titles that was released by Spectre Video. Okay, for for the for the original machines, and there were a, la- a number of other applications like um, you know home economics and basic tutor. They, they had a lot of that. Um, because of the you know the particular time when the machine was released, um, home productivity sort of things. Looking at Turbo, I can absolutely see why you might you might really like it because it's a shmup in the style of Zaxxon. Yep, that's right. And Blue Max. Uh, you started early there, didn't you? Definitely. But, um, <laughs> although, although I'm surprised you didn't, you just sort of didn't rattle off like five of your own games. Well, I'm trying not to do too much favouritism, but um, I, I will say that um, my game called Pixidis, which is my vertically scrolling shooter map, um, sold more copies than anything else on the machine. Oh, really? Oh. So you mean as in worldwide or just in Australia? Oh, it did. It did sell in other places, and copies of it must have made it to Japan because I have a. Written on a typewriter letter from ASCII Corporation in in Japan, asking for, and I'll, I'll explain this a little bit more. So that was asking for a thousand samples of my games <laughs> to publish. What yep. they meant, and my the sixteen year old me at the time misinterpreted, 
for the first thing that went through my mind was how in the hell am I going to produce a thousand copies? Uh, I wouldn't be able to afford to even buy the blank cassette tapes, mm-hmm. and you know, producing everything all, all by myself. What they meant, what they wanted to do a thousand, and I thought a thousand samples. How much? You know, I can't afford that and and actually supply that to them. They didn't weren't talking money, but they actually really did mean they wanted to do a thousand sample order. Oh wow, nuts! And you could have been like huge. Yes, yeah, so sort of missed that opportunity, sixteen-year-old me. Mm. But I did. did I you? mean, I did end up selling quite a lot of my software, driven through the magazine, um, mostly in um, Australia, New Zealand. That's uh, the computers were quite popular in New Zealand as well, and some in South Africa, and obviously a couple of copies to Japan. Um, and the magazines had quite a large circulation as well, because I kept it going all through the MSX era for quite a while. I was actually publishing the later issues of the magazine using my Atari ST. <laughs> oh, blast. Did you write these in uh, basic or assembly or how did so you So the um... the original titles were just basic games but then I started introducing like a simple um and I got the idea from the actual the Texas Instruments had an extended basic cartridge mm-hmm. and as part of that language you could set the velocity of each of the sprites. Cool. And they would automatically move. So I wrote a little bit of machine code to give me myself that functionality in Spectrideo cool. Basic. So one of my earlier titles is called Hopper. And you don't have to think too hard to think of what it's a clone of. Um, and it actually does quite a decent uh, version of Frogger on the Spectre video. It sounds like, yeah, it sounds like a better than Amstrad Basic because Amstrad Basic had no, none of that sort of sprites or anything really. It well, was that, that was the still. real power of the system. You've got quite high-res graphics where you had... Um, so rather than each 8 by 8 square only having a foreground and background colour, um, you could actually, each row, so each um, 8 pixels by 1 pixel could have a different foreground and background colour. So it actually okay. made it enable to have the background quite colourful. But then you have 32 hardware sprites that sit as layers over the top of that. And those yeah. sprites can either be 8 by 8 or 16 by 16. Mm-hmm. Um, only single colour. But by popping a couple of sprites over the top of each other, you could make things more colourful. They did have limits. You could only have four sprites on one scan line. Um, although um, more modern techniques by by myself, um, by alternating the order of the sprites every second um, screen refresh in machine code, you can get eight per line. With the, the human eye can't really notice the difference. Cool. Um, so after I started, I then... St- um, I wrote my first full machine code game, which was a version of Asteroids called Media Swarm. Um, and then I thought I wrote um, a, um, a little game called Birds of Orion, which was intended to be a Phoenix clone. Uh, I never really finished it off, though, so that's why I released um, Media Swarm as a, as a B-side game on the back of Media Swarm. That um, went down very well with a lot of people, so then I decided to have a go at Pac-Man, so I wrote a game called Munchmania, um, cool. which is a pretty decent uh, version of um, Pac-Man on the system, and then after that I went full hog and wrote Pixidus. Um, and I, all of these games I later on converted... But by the time I was running Pixidus, I already had an MSX, so that was actually written on the MSX for both systems. 
Um, and but it was always made so I could sell it on the three one eight, so that only had twelve and a half k of free RAM after basic finished. So even for machine code, so um, Pixidis is a twelve and a half k game. Um, Media Swarm was only four k. Uh, Birds of Orion was four k, and Munchmania was six k. Hmm. Tiny. Nice work. <laughs> Crazy. Um, I, I did actually um, write another unreleased title called Cavern Fighter, uh, which is a scramble clone. Um, I have since um, actually pretty much finished that game off. I'm you know, going to be releasing it on cartridge for ColecoVision and MSX. <laughs> Where do you even get cartridges made? <laughs> uh, well, actually, my good friends at ColecoVision in Canada make cartridges for the right. ColecoVision. They have That's... their own mould. Um, and uh, another good friend of the MSX community in Europe, um, uh, Eric, his name is, uh, has cartridge moulds for the MSX. Hmm. Awesome. That's cool. That's very cool. So, yeah, and I know if you've got a, uh, a NES, I think you've still got, you can buy copies of Meteor Swarm for the, the old NES too, can't you? Uh, yes, yes. I actually wrote a set of mini games for uh, the very first game on Expo over in Arizona um, so they could do a Nintendo World Championships. So in three months I learned how to, because I'd never done 6502 before, I learned 6502 and the NES architecture um, and wrote three games. Um, the first one was um, a version of the very first Sydney Hunter game, uh, The Curse of the Mayan, but it was a mini game of that. We had to collect gems. The second game was a... Uh, 3D racing game, which was very um, hard to do on the NES. And then I needed a um, a third game to finish it off. So in four days, I ported my Meteor Swarm across to the NES. Oh, cool. um, and that was the championship cart. So you have six and a half minutes to get as high a score as possible. Uh, everybody liked the Meteor Swarm part so much that the Collective Vision guy, guys asked me to write a separate title of it. So I actually improved the Meteor Swarm um, and added more things to it, and that's released as a separate cartridge as well. Oh, awesome. Uh, is the original cart impossible to find, uh, that competition um, cart? Collectivision still have copies of the Media Swarm cart. Yeah. The, um, the championship cart, of which they made six special gold ones, and I believe 150... Uh, ones that look like NES Championships carts. It, they clearly say what they are, though. They're yep. only just made in the style. I, I believe they have sold all of those. Yeah, right. I was given one of the gold carts and I think number two of the other carts. Mm. Maybe I should bring them on to Pat's next year. Yeah, well, I do have, I do certainly have uh, a copy of Meteor Swarm here as well. But um, maybe, maybe, maybe that is a competition for next year. So. Uh, yeah. So Tony, I'm a I'm a total noob and I want to get myself a um a OG Spectre video to play with. What are my options these days? Um well, when I first got back into retro collecting, they just you just didn't see them at all. Um but of late, they seem to be popping up for sale on a semi-regular basis. Um your best bet for getting one though is to get a Mark II because uh, without a doubt you'll have far less problems with the machines. Obviously, they're, they're all getting old. Um, and any machine that has a, a motherboard and a daughterboard configuration and the, um, the daughterboard holds the uh, RAM, um, they're the ones that seem to fail. Um, and plus, they have the external 
RF adapter and mm-hmm. a slightly harder to work out um, video port. Um, so I'll definitely recommend a Mark II IV model. Obviously, it's better to get yourself a 328 with a full travel keyboard that already has 64K of RAM. But you can um, uh, upgrade a through and 8 by replacing the keyboard and or upgrading the RAM quite easily. Okay. So is it how, I mean, how, how are we talking easily as in just pop a few through-hole through hole RAM chips off and replace them or is it a tiny bit more involved? Um, I believe you can just put some RAM chips on top of RAM chips. I I have all kinds of problems with piggybacking, but hey, you know something. If it works, <laughs> you if it can works, take the. I, I don't believe the originals are socketed, so you have to remove them, and you've got to put the, the larger chips in. Okay, uh, so dollar being but dollar value wise, like what are we are we talking like MSX two stupidity, or are we talking a bit more? Actually, sane? no, they're going they're going. Oh. So they're going for more than an MSX-1, but I've seen a few lately um, that have been um, um, around the $200 mark, and they usually come with a tape recorder and a, a few bits of software. All right, cool. And then what about, I mean, from a flash car, obviously we talked about the uh, the upcoming uh, 3.5mm adapter that will let you sideload stuff from like a phone or a computer. I mean, are there flash cards available for them, like, you know, the EverDrive-esque type scenario? Um, there hasn't been to date, but there is actually somebody working on it. I almost posted it as another piece of news um, that we're going to share, but it's not quite ready for prime time yet. Um, um, I'm just trying to not say the guy's name wrong um it is uh, his name's ryan i just can't remember his last name <laughs> right. ryan ryan is good so ryan, so ryan is working on and he's even got a, a mini super expander so um it'll plug into the back expansion port mm-hmm. and will allow you to use sd um you know like goat or even goat a gotek in the back and then you'll have a cartridge that goes into the cartridge socket to give the software to run it. Right, okay, cool. And he's already got his shown pictures of a quick dummy CPM. Uh, oh, I said Ryan, it's Roger. My goodness. Um, so it recently showed Spectre Video CPM 80 revision 2.2a by Digital Research booting from a ROM cartridge. All right, so he's pretty close, getting close. He's getting close, and he showed a 3D printed case he was considering. So rather than the super expander being the size of well, a box, <laughs> a full box of A4 paper, he's looking at something that's you know the size of a couple of cassettes that plugs into the expansion port at the back. I think that's been generous. I think I vaguely recall the last time I saw your one, it looked more like a um, Commodore PET disk dri- double disk drive than a um, sure. box of paper. They're not little. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Um, and I'm, actually, pro- I'm actually looking at a recent. So, how much is one thousand and nineteen kroner? Uh, dollars. <laughs> no idea. Because that's how much a Spectre video sold over on the continent recently. Okay, but it was a three. It was a three to eight. Mm-hmm. So okay, so, but still in that sort of hundred. 100 to 200 dollar area will probably get you something along those lines uh okay what about emulation do are there many emulators that actually exist for the 
the OG Spectre video. By the way, it's about $150. Oh, okay, cool. See, I wasn't far off. So emulators, um, Blue MSX, which is one of the older MSX emulators, um, does Spectre video fine. Open MSX actually made a concerted effort to fix the emulating. Um, so if Spectre video emulation works, the disk drive emulation has not been very good. Um, a early a person who supported has done a lot of um, you know modern support for the Spectre video with a lot of these tools and things like that. Was a mm-hmm. guy called Thomas Carson. He has unfortunately disappeared, and we haven't seen him since two thousand and twelve. Oh, um, but he did before he disappeared. He contributed to OpenMSX to fix OpenMSX's emulation of the Spectre video. Cool. So it works reasonably well for anyone that wants works to play reasonably stuff. Well, yeah. Um, I do believe there are still some finicky disk emulation problems, but it's very close. Fantastic. So, uh, look, yeah, and I'll we'll, we'll throw some links to the in the show notes to where you can find some of those emulators and stuff. So, if you want to check it out yourself, but um, well, Tony, so I mean, that's a pretty pretty interesting look back at I suppose what was yeah, like you said, more or less MSX zero point five, I guess, in yeah. a ways. Or oh, the prototype. Yeah. There yeah. You go. Um, I mean, from a company that in a lot of cases, I think most people that would listen to this podcast would know as joystick manufacturers and you know other accessory and game manufacturers for the 2600 and things like that. But it's yeah, interesting. So when you see that there, there was a lot more to the, the Spectre video story than just than just a quick shot. Yeah, and, you know, they gave it a, they gave it a real go and, it, you know, it got Bill Gates involved um, in um, into MSX in the early days before he decided that he wanted to focus on the other side of the fence. <laughs> All the software. Ah, excellent. Well, that's cool, Tony. So that that is fascinating. So another one, another one. If you if you've ever if you ever had a look, go go check out an emulator. Fire up some of Tony's software, and again, yeah, if you hit up his website, which will be in the show notes, you'll be able to find. A lot more on the history of yeah, Pixidus and Media Swarm and that, which I gotta say I, I do like Media Swarm a fair bit. It's a very cool little asteroids alike with a few few little changes that make it that little bit different. It's not just straight up shooting meteors and being done with it. And as I've been told by other people, all of my games are extremely mean. Yes. Yes Good. they are. <gasps> ah awesome. Oh well, we might wrap start wrapping up there then. So, um, Tony, thank you very much for that. That's um, yeah, it's always fascinating to hear about. Given your history with this system, it's uh, yeah, there are very few I think that know as much about it as what you do, at least in these parts, anyway. Yeah, I was just um, you know, in the right place at the right time to get that um, one of the first early prototypes. So, mm. oh, well, maybe we need to get you recognised as. Tasmania's first games programmer or something. <laughs> I wonder if that's a thing Guinness will actually cover. I don't know. Uh, probably too regional. <laughs> uh, I don't know. They, they do a lot of other obscure stuff. <laughs> but, um, awesome, gentlemen. So, look, uh, this is the time of that show where, yeah, we'll you know, come out, start wrapping it up. So, if you want to get in touch with us, you can always find us on our Facebook page. So, just go and look for the Press Play on Tape podcast. You can find us on Twitter at PPOT underscore podcast, as well as Tony and myself are always poking around Twitter, so you'll always be able to see it, see us on there. Um, Cameron, what about yourself? Can people find you anywhere in particular? Or are you just uh, kind I'm of... 
turn up at PAX. I'm on Twitter and- a bit. I'm, well, I do, but I'm on Twitter a little bit, but not heaps. Um, at Octomed, if any Amiga people out there are going, oh, right, that's an old music program. So O-C-T-A-M-E-D. Um, yeah, so I post a little bit on there, but not heaps. Um, yeah, I mostly just rock up to PAX and uh, <laughs> set up a whole bunch of stuff that takes more effort than it probably should. And um, <laughs> eh, yeah, yeah. Hey, maximum effort. I like it. Uh, uh, most excellent. So, but yeah, and as always, you can go back and find this and plenty other episodes of the podcast on either Podbean at podbean.com or go and fire up the Apple podcast app because let's pull, pull one out for poor old iTunes, which has in the, in the past couple of months been finally retired and sent off to that great software pasture in the sky. Ooh. I yep. will hold a memoriam. Mm, press F. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, if you, and if you are an Apple podcast user, we'd definitely appreciate it if you go and leave us a review because it all helps. Um, and also, too, you can find us on our website at ppot.audio. Um, so, gentlemen, any shout-outs from yourself? So, Cameron, being being the guest, and yeah, thanks for jumping <laughs> on at late at late notice with no, no real worries. warning. That's <laughs> uh, good. So, any any shout-outs from yourself to anyone that might be listening, or thanks for anything you wanna you wanna throw out? Ah, uh, no, it's all good. I mean, I just met a loads of cool people at PAX. Um, too many to even mention really but um a couple of the guys that really don't get any credit is is um john who lent me the some of the pc hardware and jesse who lent me some of the awesome ms dos software that we had in the in the museum um, oh, some he's of the, a yeah, hardcore collector yeah. oh yeah like um two-thirds of it was his so yeah shout out to those guys um you can catch those the they've got a big box games australia facebook group which um, you should join because uh, it's mostly PC stuff, but there's other Commodore 64 and Amiga games. So they're, they're really, really hardcore collectors. So it's fun to see what stuff they're getting through the mail constantly. Uh, yeah, that's about it. Oh, excellent. Tony, what about yourself? Um, I'll probably um, um, give a um, shout-out to my good mates at Collectivision, which I've already mentioned, because um, they have... Um, run the full gamut and released a title, one of the Sydney Hunter titles for the Switch. Ooh. Ooh. So check out Sydney Hunter and the Caverns of Death. Excellent. <laughs> and we love <laughs> the Switch. <laughs> the Switch actually has a pretty decent collection of uh, ZX Spectrum and Commodore 64 games on it too. It's actually amazing the, the, the breadth of retro titles that are being released for the Switch. Hmm. Uh, it is fantastic because port everything to the Switch. Cool. So I look for myself. I mean, look, obviously, both yourself, you know, Cameron, Tony, like, thanks for coming on. It's always fantastic to have, yeah, you know, chance to have a chat, and we're definitely getting more into the swing of things. I want to say a big shout out to uh, my mate Timps. He's be who's sort of stepped in as producer of sorts and helping me with um, the background stuff of running the show because. Those who know me know I'm horrifically unorganized, so it's good to have someone that has a fairly well-organized head on their shoulders to be able to give me a hand with everything that's going on. Um, but PAX-wise, obviously, shout-out to the whole crew, and Forces, Oz Retro Gamer, Win Retro, and everybody that was came along. You guys are always awesome to chill with. Uh, I do want to shout big shout-outs to Chris Van Grass, who was, again, loaned us a 
quite a fair chunk of hardware to use this year for the show that hope thankfully we returned everything intact and as it was so but mate yeah always do appreciate that everyone else that came and said hi and yeah checked in matt you know our, our buddy matt mr cape and kong is always good to again my my other husband or my husband <laughs> my retro husband not actually sure how this works out um but yeah it was a an interesting moment where his uh his partner the ever-loving uh uh, Ragda met met my wife in the toilet at Pax and just kind of went, "Oh, hey, you're you're my husband's husband," um, which was <laughs> kind of amusing. But yeah, excellent. Oh, look, well, thank you again. So, guys, look, yeah, thanks for the chat, and we will see you all next show. Doris, it's been great. I always enjoy doing these. All right, so look, thank you for listening, and we'll see you all next time.